0: Chapter 18 Why is it that women love best the men who are the most indifferent to them? That is what I was asking myself while going down the Seine, what I am asking myself again, and what I pray you to tell me, if you know. Prosper Merimee, Letters to an Unknown, 1874 That look you have, it is so unattractive to a woman. Babette shakes her head. What? I stand beside the kitchen table, telephone receiver in hand. Evening has fallen, and winter wind outside rustles leaves against the window glass. Your expression? Like a whelp removed from its mother's teeth? You just now spoke with young Dor, am I correct? No. Well, you're mostly right. I did leave a message for her just now. That girl is hard to pin down. She bartends most evenings and works weekends out at a farm in the country. Then if it's not homework, her mother needs something. She barely makes time for me. Maybe I should call again. Just hearing this spoken out loud makes me sigh. Over the last three weeks, Dora and I have spent two nights together, escaping the winter chill under flannel sheets and blankets in her small apartment. Aside from those delicious but fleeting hours, we sometimes kiss after class before she rushes off. Attentions that first thrilled me to the bone now feel almost indifferent. Babette exhales deeply. (sighs) Do you know nothing of Aphrodite? I think for a moment. Greek mythology, the goddess of love, created from sea foam, right? My professor shrugs. That is a good enough start. But remember, love is complicated, especially when it involves females. Aphrodite descended from the much older Babylonian goddess Ishtar, a deity of sex and fertility, connected, of course, with growing cycles, Therefore, I find it poignant you mention Dora's interest in agriculture. Oh, desperately capricious, Ishtar could not be satisfied by any one man. You must read my book on goddess cults, Ross, if you would truly understand women. I frown. Thanks. Ah, well, you will find your own ways in these matters of the heart. Advice given would be, as we French say, like seizing the moon with one's teeth. Young horse, I know you are not a simp. A what? A simpleton? At any rate, what are your plans for Thanksgiving next week? I'll probably catch a bus up to Seattle. My family always throws a big get-together. Let's see, it's on Thursday, so I'll be gone the whole weekend, then come back in time for Class Monday suspected as much. My American relatives are not such convivial company, and you know how I hate solitude, so I arranged for a colleague from school to stay for a few days. Her name is Naomi Fields. She works in the cafeteria. Oh, good. Does your friend play Scrabble? Babette shakes her head. Not so much. Still, we enjoy viewing films together. Anyhow, I am off to bed. But first I will answer your other question. It is no! You should absolutely not call Dora any more tonight. You will weary that girl, and no one appreciates a lover who is wearisome. She turns and walks away. I exhale deeply. Once her footsteps have faded upstairs, my eyes stare hard at the telephone. Faint strains of Tchaikovsky now filter from above. With a heavy heart, I pick up the receiver and dial. The Sunday evening after Thanksgiving break, I catch a Greyhound back from Seattle. It pulls into Portland's downtown station a little after ten. I stuff my ticket between pages of Blasco Ibáñez's The Shadow of the Cathedral, for a bookmark, and nudge the traveler beside me, a snoring skinny man with sour breath and arms covered in dragon tattoos. He jolts awake, gives me a slit-eyed glance, then grabs his duffel bag from the overhead bin and wobbles toward the exit. I follow. The number 19 line runs down Fifth Avenue, just south of Burnside, so I sling my backpack over stiff shoulders and walk through light rain for several blocks before finding a covered stop. It seems like an eternity before a bus chugs along. I flash my pass and take a seat just behind the rear exit. Two halts later, an older couple boards the bus. They sit directly behind me. The man's white hair billows from under a dark beret with some kind of silver medallion pinned to it. His partner is a black woman with long gray dreadlocks that curl down past her shoulders. She snuggles against him. I stare out the window and catch a reflection of their embrace. I feel like being decadent tonight, the man murmurs, his voice husky. The woman laughs, and I can't refrain from smiling as we roll along together in winter darkness. Eventually the lights of Reed College shine in welcome, indicating my stop. I throw the driver a left-handed salute and hop down the rear steps. Chilly wind gusts around me on the three-block trek to Tolman Street. My professor will definitely be asleep. I enter the house quietly and notice several main floor lights still burning. I begin methodically switching them off, but upon reaching the kitchen, start in surprise. A strange woman sits at the table. Oh, you must be Ross. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. She sets down a Hollywood gossip magazine. Bobby said you'd come back sometime tonight. Yeah, that's me. And you're her friend from school? I'm Naomi, yes. I find a glass from the cupboard and fill it with water. Naomi watches me take a long drink. I turn and regard her. She is plump, perhaps in her mid-thirties, with a halo of fine red hair and very pale skin. So, you looked after Babette this weekend? I set the glass down. Naomi coughs. (coughs) well that was the original plan but things have changed apparently i'm moving in oh where is she keeping you her guest room upstairs you know with all the fancy furniture right the french second empire antiques yes i've lived there before More than once, actually. Bobby kicked me out a couple times, and once I left myself. This may not be a good idea, but I really need somewhere to stay. She'll pay my school expenses if I keep her company. So trying again makes sense if I'm ever going to get a damn degree. Right on. Sounds like a good deal. Naomi tips back the remains of a drink before her. I hope so. You say, Bobby, I notice. Oh, everyone at the college calls her Bobette, or Bobby. It's how we were introduced years ago. I pick up my backpack. Well, for me it's bedtime. Nice to meet you. I expect we'll see a lot of each other. Over the next few weeks, our household acquires a new dynamic. My professor dotes on Naomi and even buys her a used Buick in decent condition. Babette takes us out to restaurants and we view movies from her immense collection together most evenings. The increased attention makes her greatly affable. She breaks into contagious smiles and laughter more than usual. Still, my heart sinks after every unsatisfying encounter with Dora or unanswered telephone call. One afternoon, I come upstairs just as Naomi heaves a large box through the front door. What have you got there, I ask? Oh, Bobby bought me a computer. I'm going to connect the internet to it. You should have seen her face when I said we could do that here. In fact, today the technology department set her up with a school email address. She's right behind me. You'll hear yourself. Footsteps clump up the walkway, and Babette bursts inside, eyes wide. Ross, she exclaims. Come immediately and see. Her hand fiercely clutches a rectangular card. She hands it over. These are flesh off the place. Dr. Elizabeth Ellsworth, PhD, I read. Oh, and here it is. Your new email at pcc.edu. Pretty slick. There, Babette beams. You cannot say I avoid modern things. Everyone says this is the most up-to-date form of communication. Naomi laughs. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I place the machine on a desk in an alcove across from Naomi's bedroom. Once the dial-up service is activated, we begin teaching Babette how her inbox operates. At this, we fail. Over and over again. Even following step-by-step instructions written out in block letters, my professor never accesses the account without help. After several days of anguished cries in French from upstairs, I simply print out each email she receives and deliver them by hand. Later, she dictates replies, standing behind me as my fingers hover over the keyboard. I really don't see what all the fuss is about, Babette complains after a week of this. Half of the electronic letters you give me are just inspirational proverbs from one of the church biddies. She must do nothing all day but compile those insipid litanies. Can't you stop her somehow? Welcome to the internet, I reply.